0: Welcome to Episode 4 of the Spokesman Cycling Roundtable Podcast. This show was recorded Monday, October 2nd, 2006. The Spokesman Cycling Roundtable Podcast is a combination of some of the best cycling podcasts on the Internet. Each show will bring together some of the most famous voices in cycling for a lively discussion of the current cycling news. And now, here are the spokesmen. Welcome to episode four of The Spokesman. Today in the roundtable we have Carlton Reed. Hi Carlton, how how are you today?
1: I'm doing fine, thank you.
0: Excellent, we've got Jeremy Vaught. Hi Jeremy. Hello. And Tim Grawl. How's it going Tim? Hello there. The the really fun thing is that I actually had a chance to meet Jeremy and Tim in person this week. Uh, I met Tim at Interbike. And I also had the opportunity to meet Jeremy at the Podcast and Portable Media Expo, and we're going to talk about both of those. And I thought, guys, we would start talking about Interbike. Now, Tim and I were both there. Uh, we both had a chance to talk to a lot of people. My initial my initial feeling about Interbike this year was having not having been to an Interbike in about 10 years this had to have been the biggest interbike that i was at i didn't even have a chance to see the whole show how about you tim what were just your initial reactions to the show well it was
2: it was pretty big it, it was as big at least as it has been in other years although the guys from interbike said the attendance was up which is harder for me to tell um as far as companies you know in the last couple of years there's been a couple that have dropped out um trek fisher isn't there um Cannondale wasn't there this year. Specialized had an extremely small booth. Um so as far as that goes, those were dropping out, but the floor was still full. So um I think uh there's been some people that have filled those gaps. And overall, this is my third year in a road inner bike and this had the best um overall feeling as par- as people just being excited about the show. And I heard that from other people as well, that this is just people were more excited about the show this year than they had been in the last couple of years. So uh, it was a good show. I really enjoyed it.
0: You know what was interesting to me about you know, the fact that Specialized had a smaller booth and, and, and Cannondale wasn't there? They were both at the outdoor demo with huge booths, two of the, two of the largest. Um,
2: right, because that's the one thing they can't do in-house.
0: Exactly, exactly. And that outdoor demo is amazing. And for, for those of you who, who aren't maybe familiar with it, and I think we talked about it briefly on the last show, to me, this was the whole trade show. <laughs> I mean, the, the, what's, what's on the show floor is really nice, but the outdoor demo is where you really learn about the products. And uh, I was two days at the outdoor demo was not enough. That could have been 10 days, and, and it would have been nice. Uh, and, of course, the thing that I kept thinking at the outdoor demo was how amazing it would be if they could somehow figure out a way to have consumers at that thing. Because it is, there's no doubt that that's the best way to test ride bikes.
2: Well, you know what was interesting was I was talking to the guys from Carver Bikes, and he said um, what would be cool is to switch Innerbike and in the Outdoor Demo and have Interbike first and the Outdoor Demo second. Um, he gave, He brought up two really good points about that, and that was, first of all, it would allow small guys like him to actually participate because... He doesn't have enough money to bring out two fleets of bikes, so he could show them first and then get them trashed the last two days, and he'd be okay. And plus, that would give retailers a chance to actually see the bikes they want to ride and maybe even set up appointments. And um, because right now they have to basically go out ride bikes, and then I'm sure they see bikes that they they wish they'd known about at the days at Interbike. And so I actually talked to the guys, uh, the PR guy from Interbike that I've been dealing with. His name's Rich Kelly, and I was kind mm-hmm. of telling him about it. And he said basically he didn't know why it was that way, and he was giving me a little history. And basically they were doing interbike, and they kind of just started tacking on the outdoor demo at the beginning, and it's gotten really exciting, or it got really big. And so he's going to ask that question and see if maybe next year, um, or it probably won't happen next year, but maybe for 2008 that may be something they want to do. Because those two points, I thought were really good. I think it would even allow more companies to participate in the outdoor demo.
0: Yeah, you know the outdoor demo. Uh, my first interbike that I ever attended, and it was as an exhibitor, was in '89, and the last one I attended as an exhibitor was '97, I believe. And the, up until that point, they still weren't doing the outdoor demo. So it's it's only in the last you know, nine or ten years that they've added the outdoor demo. And you're right, it was just sort of tacked on at the beginning, and at first, it was nowhere near what it is today. And now it's it's probably the largest outdoor trade show I've seen. And it you know there was there weren't just bike companies there. There were shoe companies and helmet companies and thank goodness there were hydration companies because it was hot out there in the Nevada desert. Mm-hmm. Um, you know people with GPSs. and and there were just a lot of things that you could try out. And I, and I agree. I was talking to the guys from Blue Bicycles at the outdoor demo, and they were saying thank goodness that one of their dealers in north carolina bought up every single one of their outdoor demo bikes otherwise they you know what were they going to do they, they now had had used bicycles on their hands uh, so i could see that you take the bikes to the show they look beautiful at the show and then you know a day or so later you're out at the outdoor demo and th- those bikes that were now beautiful you can as you said trash them uh, right so that that would be really good what would you say was the most interesting thing that you saw at the show, or was there a trend that you saw
2: this year over last year? Uh, the trend I I felt was the um, there's even more than last year. Well, first of all, there was way more two niners than there was last year, and also um, there was way more. Cross bikes and fixed gear bikes as well. I, yeah, I so, definitely
0: saw the, the, the crosses and, and the fixed gear, but I, I knew you were going to bring up the two er so I got a question for you. All right. I had a chance to talk to a company that's always been been fairly well known for, for making uh, popular tires, and I asked them, you know, I looked around their booth and, and I didn't see any two er tires, and I, I, I thought, I got to ask these guys, so I said, "Are you guys ever planning on making two niner tires?" And the guy just sort of looked at me with a quizzical look on his face, and just shook his head. And and I'm and so my question is, you're right, I definitely saw a lot of two niners, but do you think this is something that's going to last, or do you think it's a fad? What's your
2: opinion on it? Well, I, there's no way it's just a fad. Um... There's so many benefits, and you know, I've gotten into those before, yeah. but also you got to look at how much is actually selling, and the fact that even, the more there's more companies getting into it as well. So, um, I mean, they definitely have a real purpose. And I was talking to several companies about it too. And one rumor that I heard, I can't really say where I heard this from, but basically, there's a lot of even in Trek, there's a lot of contention going on because now Fisher is out selling Trek because of all the two Niners. Hmm. And so the fact that all of these companies just can't keep them in stock and you know there's only more products coming out, I think the companies that are laughing at them are just going to be behind the eight ball once, it fi- once they finally realize that they're not going away anytime soon because they just have some very practical... Very practical applications to um, different types of riding. You know, it kind so, of—it re-
0: it kind of reminds me of—I remember way back when, when it used to be everybody's headset was one inch, and then Fisher came out with—I uh, think he called it Evolution. It was an inch and a quarter, and then Tioga came out with what they called—oh, it's killing me that I can't remember—but anyway, it was inch inch and an eighth, and everybody said, "Oh, oversize is never going to be popular in, in in mountain bikes. It's never—you know—one inch is the way to go." Well, two years later everybody was really eating their words because everybody had inch and an eighth or inch and a quarter bike. So I mean I guess with two niners it probably is gonna end up being the same thing.
2: Yeah, I think so. I can't see this just being a a fad or something that's here now and gone tomorrow. Too many people are interested, too many people are buying it. The um I mean I can especially see it in my twenty nine inchescom site. There's just people the the big bike nerds are the ones that are really into it Mm. and so they're always the first ones to jump on new things and it's now working its way into the mainstream before long people are going to be buying two niners and not really realizing there's a difference they'll just be like okay i'm buying a mountain bike at my shop so um... i kinda think that's funny that a company is even though I mean, tires, you have Specialized that has been doing them for a while. Right. WTB came out with new tires. Um, I can't remember them all. I had a guy there covering two-niners for me specifically. but um, And then all of the new companies that's coming out with new ones, the Mamacita from Salsa, you can build up to be a 20-pound racing hardtail bike hmm. in a two-niner. And so companies aren't going to be spending this much money and this much time on something that's just a fad. I mean, they all sell out. They're all doing so well. So... Hey
0: Carlton, oh, let me, I l- 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 I'm going to ask you Carlton, when, when you were over at the show in, in Europe and and even you know just at shops in the UK, is 2.9 or something that, that you saw at the show over there or something that you see in the shops in the UK?
1: At, at Eurobike there was for sure more 2.9ers uh, than the previous year. Uh, but 2.9s are very much still an American thing, mm. which, which might change. In the UK, there's a, an organization called CTC, Cyclist Touring Club, which is very traditional, kind of tweed trousers kind of uh, image. Um, 50,000 members, most of them are uh, 50 plus, would, would, would go the stereotype. Yet in their club magazine, they had this fantastic three, four-page review of an one. Uh, an 29er, which the the guy who wrote it is a a guy called Chris Jude, who's like the Sheldon Brown of the UK, uh, like the tech guru, and he was raving about uh, 29-inch bikes, like I've never seen anybody rave about uh, a bike before, so if if Chris has been converted, uh, that's going to lead an awful lot of of, of undecided to thinking, oh, well, well, if he says so, then uh, this is where it's at, so I think the UK is going to see an awful uh, lot more uh, two niners in the future, but there's still not a huge groundswell in the UK. There's it's boutique brands, and then the odd mainstream brand. It's when it gets past that point, that tipping point, and I guess this show, Interbike, is is where it's going to tip because all the UK people who've been across to that show are going to be blown away with the amount of uh, two niners. So I think next year is the year for for two niners in the U.K.
0: Tim, anything else that you saw there that was, that was a trend or anything hot that, that you want to talk about?
2: Well, the the one thing I kind of got excited about, and this is because I'm a new dad, I got an eight-month-old, is Baby Jogger. Yeah, is I heard you talk with,
0: about that on your show.
2: Yeah, yeah, I was pretty, you know, I, I even told them, I said, if you'd showed me this last year, i had been like, oh, okay, that's kind of neat. But now this year, I'm like, oh man, that's really cool. Because basically, they thought about it from a. Usually, um, it, it seems that trailers and baby joggers are thought of from the jogging standpoint more than the actual ease of use and um, taking care of the baby standpoint. And so they did a whole lot of things of just making it safe, making it really easy to transport. Like the thing folds down in a couple seconds and um there's no huge kit to transfer it from a jogger to a trailer cuz my wife runs and I'm I ride and so that'll be something that's really good and it doesn't take it's really s- simple to do that kind of stuff so they had some really interesting products that got me as excited as a new dad is something that I'll be able to use so that's like the one thing I was telling people that was kind of top of mind for me
0: it's funny i remember when i became a new dad and i went to the show and And it was the burly trailers that did it for me, you know, being able to get one of these things and hook it up to the back back of my mountain bike and take my kids with me. So I I, I relate to what you're talking about.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: You know, one of the things for me, and I'm going to get Fred on you guys here for a second, but for me, the thing that that, that really seemed to be a trend, when I went to the outdoor demo, my goal was I I walked into every single booth and I said, hi, I want to try your newest high-end road bike. And so I really expected that I was going to see a broad range of materials. Instead, every single company, when they handed me their high-end road bike, it was carbon. And, you know, there was recently a recall from Cervelo on carbon road bikes. And so I'm, I'm wondering, I, I just want to go around the table here. It, it, has carbon arrived? I mean, is it, is it the only high-end material... And do you think that it is as safe as we would all like it to be? And I'm going to put Jeremy on the spot because he hasn't had a chance to to chime in here. Jeremy, any thoughts on on carbon as a material?
3: Well, um, me personally, I I don't I don't really focus a lot on the carbon because um, because I'm I have such a such a large frame that that carbon isn't uh, the best for me, so I usually stick with the aluminum and stuff. So I hope everything doesn't go carbon because that would be that would be bad news. I'd be running through bikes every six months or so.
0: Yeah, you're. I mean, I met you this weekend, and I mean, you're certainly in shape, but at the same time, you're right. I mean, you're a big guy. What are you? Six what?
3: Six one, yeah. two hundred forty-five pounds.
0: Yeah. So you're a big guy. So what kind of bike do you ride?
3: I have a, a Cannondale R three thousand it's got a carbon fork but the rest is aluminum
0: so for you you don't want a carbon bike you you don't so for you there's there's a safety issue there
3: right right maybe a maybe the seat stay in the fork but uh i want the rest to be aluminum okay makes sense carlton
0: what about you
1: wow um i've written lots of articles about the the shortage of carbon fiber right uh, because of the the aerospace industry um the tennis rackets, etc. It's just an explosion in, in use of carbon fibre across the globe. Um, it, so far, there doesn't seem to be a, a huge impact on uh, supplies of carbon fibre for bikes, so, so touch wood. It, on the safety aspect, uh, if they're made right, perfect. But they do have these uh, glitches in that you have a crash on a carbon fibre bike, you have no idea whether there is any uh, internal damage there. You generally have to trash the frame if you have a, a hard impact, which I've I've just been through this. The the bike looks fine on the the outside, but I've had a crash, so it's an insurance job. I've just got to get rid of that frame uh, and get a new one. Hmm. There's things about lamination issues, whereas you, if you don't take care of your bike, if you lean it up against walls, etc., if you get that uh, carbon fibre frame, if you if you if you delaminate in any way, if it just leans up against a, a rough surface, that can do enough damage to ruin that bike. So you've got to take a, an awful lot more care with carbon fiber bikes than you have with, with your, your, your titanium, your aluminum, or your, your steel bikes. So there's, there's that issue. That's fantastic, but you really have got to take a lot of care with
0: them. Right. So, so Tim, I don't know if you, if you saw the same thing that I did. I'm, I'm assuming that you did. And with everything that that Jeremy and and Carlton have said, what do do you think about the fact that that Carbon seems to be the the high-end bike uh, for the roadies?
2: Well, um,
0: for roadies,
2: I don't know. I didn't pay much attention. (laughs) But uh, as far as there was a whole lot of Carbon on mountain bikes, but I did see a 3.1-pound frame from Niner Bikes that was uh, scandium. Hmm. which is which is a pretty light frame as well and so i i did see a little of both or a little more than just carbon but yeah all of the high-end mountain bikes were still being put in carbon and me and mark stevenson uh... aka guitar ted for most of you um, got into a little bit he was explaining a little bit more to me about how it works and that you know it's only strong in one direction and so that can be some issues as well so um, you know that is a fear of like if you it is the highest end so you're going to spend the most money and as Carlton said there's a good chance that uh, you could do something to it rather easily that would um, make you have to replace replace the part so that's where I would say you know only get it if you're planning on doing some some racing or the the weight is a huge issue for you
0: was it did, did you see in the show daily that or maybe yeah I think it was in the show daily there was a, a thing from I think it was Lightspeed And it said, going out of business sale. And basically what it says was, we're not making any frames from any other material than titanium. Did you see that?
2: No, I didn't see that. Yeah, it was
0: really funny because at first everybody was thinking, oh my God, they're going out of business. But what they were really saying was, look, (laughs) we're just a titanium company and that's all we're going to make. Uh, I thought that was pretty funny. Lastly, the one thing that I wanted to mention was, I saw just a a ton of technology uh, at the show, whether it was... GPS units, and there were a number of those at the show, or a number of different uh, computer programs that you can use for training or point-of-sale systems for the shop. So it really seems like the bike industry has, has embraced technology across the board. And I, I even to- ran
2: across a booth. They were talking about um, they had a CD they would sell that was basically a psychology for riders and it helps you basically get ready for races through meditation and that sort of thing
0: yeah well. I interviewed those guys and they actually gave oh, me it? a sample so I' okay. try that
2: out so um, yeah that was that was pretty neat too when you're talking about it. I saw a lot of the um, we talked about on the last one the internal gear the uh, gearbox I saw those uh, three or four different places so including the suntour booth like we talked about.
0: So, anything else that, that came up at Interbike that you want to bring up for the listeners?
2: Um, no. Just besides, I'm still I'm still kind of riding high. I got to have coffee with Gary Fisher on Tuesday. So uh, nice. Yeah, I saw him walking through the mall, and I went running after him and introduced myself. And he'd heard of me in the site, so he invited me and the guys I was with out to coffee. And we sat around for about a half hour just chatting. So that was definitely the high the high of the trip the day before the show even started. So
3: that's
0: that's that fun.
2: Was,
3: and did you, you know, guys I... get to see the half-weight jersey?
2: No, the I what? didn't see it.
0: Did you, did you see it, Tim?
2: No, I didn't.
0: Carlton's the only one who's had the honor. Wow.
1: <laughs> I made it up. I made it up. There's no <laughs> such thing.
0: <laughs> you know, it was funny because I'm I'm going to transition to the, the next trade show that I went to. Um, you know, I left Interbike early on Thursday and then headed out to Ontario, California to go to the Podcast and Portable Media Expo, and I got a chance to meet Jeremy there. And what was really funny was... Number one, first of all, and, and I don't know, Tim and Jeremy, I'm sure that you, you had the same thing, but what was really cool at both Interbike and at the Podcast Expo was meeting fans of, of both of these shows, both both my, my show, The Fredcast, as well as uh, The Spokesman. And, and that was really fun for me, but one of the great things was that Jeremy introduced me to somebody, and the guy says, oh yeah, yeah, The Spokesman, that's the one where you're talking about that really lightweight jersey. <laughs>
1: So, <laughs> really
0: yeah i kind of enjoyed that
3: that's funny yeah,
0: so what was let's talk just briefly about the, the podcast expo because yeah i know this is about cycling but but if you're listening you're also a podcast listener uh, one of the things that i found at the show that was great was you know, we were meeting some of the biggest names in podcasting whether it was leo laporte or don and drew or soccer girl or um cali Lewis, Vought. yeah or jeremy vaught right you know a- anybody that was there that Incredibly approachable, incredibly friendly, and everybody was this just there to, to help each other. Uh, Jeremy, what were, your, what were your thoughts about the show?
3: I had a lot of fun uh, for the reasons that you just mentioned. Uh, it was cool meeting you, and um, um, so I guess you can add uh, you know David Bernstein to the <laughs> list, right? Yeah, thanks. Uh, <laughs> um, and just the. Uh, Just the the excitement that everybody has for, for what we do. Um, there, there were a lot of listeners, especially on Saturday. Mm -hmm. And, and that is fun to meet people that, that they're there just to, just to come out and, and meet the people that they, that they listen to on a regular basis. And they don't have any desire to actually do this themselves. They just, they just, you know, we're, uh, there, there's a saying in, in podcasting that, um, you know everybody's famous for 15 minutes but a podcaster is famous for 15 people. And <laughs> and, and that's the truth cuz you know they listen to us and we're kind of like, "Ooh, that voice on the other side." And so, you know, it's it's kind of a kick cuz we know we're just, you know, just everyday Joes just like everybody else. And they know it too, but but it's fun to meet them and they enjoy meeting us, so I really enjoyed that.
0: Yeah, it was it was a lot of fun and you're right, the listeners meeting the listeners was probably the most fun because um, actually, I, I was walking into the expo after going to one of the conferences, and Jeremy is talking on the phone. He, he comes up to me, and he hands me the cell phone. He says, say hi to Steve. So I picked up the <laughs> phone, and I said, hello? The guy in the other end says, who's this? I said, it's David. He says, David who? I said, from the Fredcast. Well, the guy, it, it was like he was meeting, I don't know, Sean Connery <laughs> or something. It was so fun. And we just had the greatest conversation about the bike he just rode, and he's looking to buy a new bike. And it was That was just a blast. It was a lot of fun. So... You're right. Meeting the listeners was probably the most fun. It was the same thing at Interbike. I loved walking into a booth and saying, oh, can I interview you about this product? And they'd look down at my badge and they'd say, oh, my God, I was just listening to you two seconds ago. <laughs> so it's it's a lot of fun. I guess the one thing from the podcast expo that I, 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 I would want to convey to the listeners is podcasting is very much alive and well, as my dog barks in the background. Mm-hmm. And... Um, that it seems to me that it is a growing business, and it is not a fad; it is not something that 's going away. This is oh something no. that is going to be here for a long time and and everybody at the show was very much interested in expanding podcasting, growing podcasting, and helping each other grow their podcast there's there 's very little competition uh, because at this point everybody 's looking to help each other because if 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 I help show ABC, then it's only going to help me because it's going to grow the listenership and it's going to grow podcasting. So I think that's a great thing.
3: Yep.
2: And of course that's Yeah, go ahead. The good thing about podcasting too is that um, it's kind of like websites as far as just because somebody's listening to one, it doesn't mean they're not listening to the other like normal radio stations. They're always competing for the same listening. But with a podcast, people can keep up with a whole bunch of them at their own pace and there's not this so that we don't feel like we're competing for listeners as much as just getting our listeners to listen to other people's as well and that doesn't take away from our own shows exactly
0: exactly and i think that's why everybody's so willing to help each other so bottom line podcasting's here to stay so keep listening here here hey carlton you brought up a story to me that, that i hadn't heard and and of course i've been you know, out of touch for a while as I've been to these trade shows over the last week, but it was a story about something that happened with the royals and cycling, and it became quite. it caused quite a stir in Britain.
1: Tell us about it. Uh, Viscount Lindley. Yeah, that's the uh, one. <laughs> is is one of the minor royals. I think he's 14th, 15th in line for the throne, so quite a few people are going to die before he actually gets anywhere. <laughs> um, and he's actually a furniture salesman, he has a very, very posh furniture shop in uh, Pimlico, in London. But he has a, one of these, uh, it's not a folding bike, but it, it's a collapsible bike. And it's a, a triangle, uh, triangular plastic thing, and it's called a strider, which has a, an extremely weak rear rack on it. And he was photographed by a, a paparazzi photographer in London taking his four-year-old daughter to school uh, on the back of this thing. And the British tabloids had him for, for lunch. They, they just ripped into him, saying how incredibly dangerous this was. You didn't know whether they meant the cycling or the fact that he's, he's making his daughter hang off the back of this incredibly precarious, <laughs> dangerous uh, contraption he's riding to to school with. And he's now uh, being suitably chastised by his wife, and he's now walking to school. <laughs> and I find the whole story... Potentially sad because he was knocked, and maybe he was knocked because he thought it was because he was cycling to school. And uh, not just because it's no, you're cycling to school with the wrong bike. On the plus side, he does have a very traditional English um, roadster bicycle on order. So he can actually take his daughter to school on, on a bike, on a, on a proper bike, very soon.
0: But you know, I, didn't, I looked at the picture, and I'm sure the, the rest of you guys did after Carlton sent it to us. I don't think it was that he was he was riding or that he was riding in traffic. I think it was, you know, th- this poor little girl is hanging on for dear life, barely holding on to his his coat. It just you know it looks like she could fall off at any second. So I, I think that that was that was probably why he he was he was raked over the coals was was just <laughs> the fact of of how he was doing it. So if he's got a bike on order, I mean, is he planning on putting her on a seat or in a trailer or on a ride along? Has he said?
1: Oh, uh, it's going to be a a proper seat on the back of the bike. The the company in question, Strider, they did a roaring trade afterwards because all publicity is good publicity. And it made page three of uh, three British tabloids, which is nine, ten million readers uh, between them all. And uh, two of them mentioned the company name, and the company luckily was able to get in the fact that, for God's sake, don't put kids on the back of these things, it's not designed for that, it's designed for a book. So they actually got their, their um, criticism in first, and were able to get the publicity off the back of it. Uh, so they, they were happy.
0: I think I'll post a link to the story in the show notes uh, for the spokesman so people can see the, the picture. I guess it brings up a good question, though. All, all of us have kids um and so uh, tim was talking about the fact that he went up to the baby jogger guys and how he thinks that that's going to be great for his kids Um, the rest of us our kids are a little bit older Uh, how for instance carlton when your kids were were little were you taking them on rides and if if so how were you taking them around
1: uh we took them from probably four months old we had a I, at the time, I had a, a family cycling magazine, which I created because I had a family, and they were cycling. It was called On Your Bike, and uh, I used to get all these fantastic uh, products uh, via the magazine. So we had uh, products that you could put children in from a very early age, whereas your, your, your burly trailers, for instance, you've got to be uh, six months and up. But we had these fantastic German products and Dutch products that you can get kids on just straight away. Um, and then we, we we went on to the Burley Trailers by having a car seat inside the Burley Trailer and then eventually a trailer bike. And we even had a, because I've got twin girls who are now, now seven, but they their first experience of cycling uh, was on a two-person trailer bike. So they were, they, were, they were cycling along, which was very flippy because it would uh, it would uh, slap along as you were cycling, which didn't last very long, wouldn't take them to school. Um, and then, probably from the age of three, they were on their own bikes and got them off stabilizers with the use of, if you've seen it, these little wooden trainer bikes, which have no pedals. Uh, they're from Germany, and they're called Leica bikes, and you just scoot along on them like a hobby horse. So all three of my kids were, were riding their own bikes by about the age of three and a half. And they've wow. never looked back since, of course. Wow.
0: Uh, Jeremy, what about you? Uh, you take, did you take your kids along when they were little?
3: No, when my kids were little, I was in school full-time and working full-time and was just happy if I could get four hours of sleep a night. <laughs> well, it's a lot like podcasting, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, no kidding. And now I've returned. Yeah. But, uh, no, know, so they... We, uh, they just started riding when they were old enough to ride with training wheels, but they all have bikes and they love to ride. There you go. Um, f-
0: and for me, you know, it was the burly trailer, which I talked about earlier, and that was so much fun. I don't, there's something really cute about a kid, you know, in, in the back of a, of a burly trailer you know, with their little helmet on, strapped in, and, you know, not a care in the world, singing or, or eating Cheerios or, <laughs> or, 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 you know, reading a book or something. It's just the cutest well, thing to watch that little head bob back and forth. or sleeping generally because it would
1: would get them to sleep yeah and
0: my my kids loved it both of them just totally loved it and then you're right the next thing we did was we went with what we always called the ride-along but it's like a trailer bike and both kids did that and you know they we'd start the ride and they'd always swear that they were going to help out on the hills (laughs) and they they preferred pedaling downhill to uphill uh so it was it was a lot of fun so tim look at all these great things you have to look forward to
2: Oh yeah, I can't wait. I'm hoping to get one of those baby joggers pretty soon. So I'll be I'll be out on our trails here pretty soon with uh, with Connor in the back. So It's fun. It's I'm, great. I'm looking forward to it.
0: And and Carlton's talked about it. We we're going to have to do this. We have to get our kids on the show and have them talk about their bikes and, and their experiences with cycling and with cycling dads.
2: Hey, you may want to give me a year or two. Yeah, okay. <laughs>
0: <laughs> hey, let's talk about one more thing. Uh and that was that there's a new a new study that came out and this is from the Monash University Accident Research Center and the Amy Gillette Foundation. The study says that they analyzed uh, about 14,000 bicycle vehicle crashes in Australia between the years of 2000 and 2004 and the results are that if you are a male between the ages of 30 and 39 and you're riding your bike between 4 p.m. and 6 p.m. You are in a much, you have a much greater risk of a collision with a motor vehicle. So I'm, I'm safe. I turned 40 a couple months ago, so it's you guys that are in trouble. <laughs> um, what do you guys think about this? You think that there's something to this, this study? Anybody, feel free to jump in.
3: I would <laughs> say that uh, it seems like that's the probably the age that most people are exercising, right? Mm. So. That, almost as a no-brainer, but probably also the age where you, you're not quite to the point where you feel like uh, you're in any danger, and so you might whip around in traffic a little more than you, than, than you ought to. Um, but uh, other than that, um, I can't see why that, why the numbers would be skewed.
1: The this, this study was also showing, of course, which is interesting, that it's all on a straight road. So the the, the the majority of the crashes aren't at these, these oh, it's strange, obscure junctions. It's just on a straight road where a car... These are not uh, male 30- 30 to 39-year-old cyclists just suddenly crashing into cars. It's <laughs> cars crashing into 30- 30 to 39-year-old cyclists mm. on straight roads in good visibility. And the study uh, is trying to find out why. Now, we all know why. It's, uh, I guess it would be more interesting to find out uh, how to stop it.
0: What do you what do you guys think? I mean, we, we've talked about a, a number of things, and that is that, uh, and, and Tim, I'm going to give you a chance here, but we've talked about these different laws where these different states and places have said you have to stay a certain distance from cyclists. I know Florida now has a new law that says you have to stay three feet away from a cyclist. Tim, what do you think? You think that's going to help?
2: Well, um, I don't think, I think the only way a law would help is that the fact that the law is made will get airtime on news stations and other places so that will increase um, people's awareness that there are cyclists on the road i think the main thing is um making people realize before anything bad happens that they have to pay attention and they have to to be on the lookout for cyclists otherwise it, you know they're going to be like i was talking about last show putting on makeup or doing something else and not paying <laughs> attention and they end up hitting another cyclist so I th- I still say the biggest thing is I mean you can make laws and you can um, do all kinds of things uh, to try to stop it but the biggest thing is just making people realize up front that something horrible is going to happen if they're not paying attention so um, it was interesting actually because um, me and um, Mark Stevenson and Graham from GoClipless.com we're sitting around a deli at about one in the morning in Vegas, um, arguing over whether or not it's more dangerous to ride a bike than, than ride a car. So uh, it was it was pretty interesting to see both sides um, of that as well. And then now we're talking about it about it again. So um, it, it all kind of we kind of came to the same conclusion of you know we just need to make sure more people realize that they need to be looking out for um, people on the road.
0: What do you what do you think you know now a law or, or a study, excuse me, laws like we talked about you know where we they require cars to stay away from cyclists, obviously negative reinforcement, right? What do you think about rewarding drivers or rewarding cyclists who seem to be responsible road users? There's this this thing going on in Victoria in Australia where they have Safe Cycle Month and they end up giving cyclists who are, how do they put it, responsible road users, they, they give them all sorts of prizes and, and trinkets and things like that. <laughs> uh, in my opinion, it's, it's it's the motorists that that they should be, that the police should be looking at to give rewards if, if they're responsible, but, but what do you think's gonna work? Positive or, or negative reinforcement? Carlton, you sent me this story, what do you think?
1: I love the story because I, I'd be going round and round the block trying to to <laughs> just be so good and getting all those prizes. Um, <laughs> yeah, you're, you're right. It, it's got to be a, a bit of both, is not it, really? It, it's got to be positive and negative. It, positive, I've never seen that before. That's why I sent you the link. I've, it's always negative, negative, negative. And this is the first one. You get prizes if you stop at a red light. Fantastic. <laughs> Sign me up. <laughs> <laughs>
0: well, I mean, I suppose we see that all the time. You know, the cyclists who who run the stop signs and run the red lights. And, and, and those, it seems to me, are the ones who are, who are really rushing to an accident, if you will. Um... I don't know. Have here's a question: Have any of you ever had a run-in with the police? Where I don't know, maybe you did run a stop sign, or you know, the, the 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 officer thought that that you were doing something that you shouldn't have been doing. Have any of you had that
3: issue? Yes. Ah, tell us about it. Well, it was when I was it was when I was younger, uh, but I've actually had. Um, uh, well, I lived in this one town. Austin, Nevada, and it was a it was a small town where the main drag was actually the highway. Right, it was only a town of two hundred fifty people on a seven percent grade, so a pretty steep road, and um, the it was twenty five miles an hour, and I would pass cars going through when I was going to town um, on the uh, right side of the car and I ended up getting pulled over 3 separate times for passing on the right which which I kind of thought was kind of silly cuz that's you know but so I I uh that was my that was my experience I got pulled over 3 times when I was about uh, junior high to ninth grade Did you get a fine for it No but I do I do have a friend from uh Phoenix that he was pulled over one time for running a stoplight And the police officer asked him for his license, and he gave him his license, and he got a ticket and had points on his license. Wow. So uh, the moral of the story is if you do get pulled over, don't have your license on you. (laughs) This is not
0: necessarily the the opinion
3: of the Spokesman Podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Tim,
0: what about you? you. It sounds like you have something to say.
2: Yeah, I had some friends that um, they do a weekly road ride, and they cut through this one neighborhood. And um, it was one of those stop signs in a neighborhood where there's never any cars and so they would, you know, they would slow down and then go on through. Well, they had a guy in the neighborhood that owned one of the houses that was always annoyed, just basically annoyed that they came through the neighborhood on early Saturday morning. So he had the poli- he called the police and had a cop come out and basically set up a sting for him and when they ran it, every one of them got a ticket. So um yeah it was a traffic ticket they had to pay a fine points on the license all nine yards. So uh yeah I, that's happened that's happened here in my in my town although um one thing that again we we discussed the other night late in the deli was that I ride on the sidewalks here and there's people that argue back and forth but basically um, the main drag outside of my um neighborhood's road is everybody goes 50 to 55 miles an hour there's no shoulder anywhere but there's a sidewalk so i get on the sidewalk and i go pretty slow and i take my time but there's no way i i'll take a ticket any day than try to ride on the road where there's a much much greater chance that um, i'll be getting smacked by a car so um, as far as the tickets go i'm i take that i'll take a risk of paying a fine over losing my life so that makes
0: sense to me. I mean, I, I, you know, on the one hand, you of course don't want to do what, what, what's illegal. But on the other hand, you also want to go home to your wife and kids at night, and so you, know, you have to balance here, out.
1: Here in the UK, if you, you're saying you don't want to be illegal, but here in the UK, we had an, an offence on the statute books which was uh, there for a long, long time from like the the late 19th century, which was um, guilty of ru- cycling furiously, and they were the words. So, of course, every single cyclist worth his is sold, uh, or her sold, would be trying to go as fast and as crazy when they see a policeman, just so they can have uh, <laughs> on their gravestone the fact that in 19-whatever, they were booked for cycling furiously. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic <laughs> offense. We, sh- we should bring that back.
0: <laughs> I like that a lot. And, uh, and with that, I think we're going to close out this episode of The Spokesman, uh, who are all furious cyclists. Uh, I want to thank everybody for participating. Carlton Reed, tell us how people can reach you and where they can find your your website and or podcast.
1: Well, you know, very soon there's a bike show coming up in the UK, and I'm launching a a new podcast site, and it's going to be called quickreleased.tv, and there's going to be a whole bunch of video podcasts on there as well as audio. It's not working right now. That's just a, a plug for what's coming up, but normally... It's going to be cycling news and views via iTunes and all the other podcast places.
0: Excellent, real good. Jeremy, tell us how we can find you and your show.
3: Triathlon Radio at triathlonradio.com. I also do a uh, one for beginner triathlete at uh, beginnertriathlete.com. And um, let's see. I have, if anybody's interested, I have some uh, Flickr and whatnot pictures of the expo and lots of podcasters and. And you can get to uh, links on there from jeremyvott.com. And there should be a picture of me on there, too. There is indeed, excellent, yes. Excellent, excellent. I'm
0: going uh, straight there for that
1: one.
0: <laughs> well, Actually, uh, and I'm about to, to announce Tim. And when I met Tim, he says, you know, you hear somebody's voice and you get a picture in your head and then you meet them. And I, don't, I told him I didn't want
2: to hear what his picture was of me.
0: But uh, uh, <laughs> Tim, tell us where we can find you and, and about your show.
2: Um, I am the owner of the Crooked Cog uh, Network, which is blogs and uh, my podcast, and that's at CrookedCog.com. The podcast is at CrookedCogPodcast.com, um, so you can find me there. Feel free to email me at Tim at CrookedCog.com, and if you want to see the most unprofessional but um, biggest coverage, picture coverage of the uh, Interbike trade show, we put up about 2,350 pictures in the three wow. days. Um, across the network, so some of them were out of focus and kind of blurry, but uh, hey, you know, quantity was, uh, we can't beat people in quality, so we decided to beat them in quantity, so, but uh, check those across, uh, commutebybike.com, 29inches.com, and uh, com. so. Wow, you're Mr. Plug today,
0: and, uh, and for yeah. me, I'm David from the Fredcast Cycling Podcast, at, that's at thefredcast.com. And of course, you can send me an email anytime at thefredcast at gmail.com. I want to thank all the listeners for staying subscribed and for telling their friends about the show. We'd like to definitely grow the audience of The Spokesman, so please do tell your friends. And of course, our website is www.the-spokesman.com. If you don't put that hyphen in, you are going to get a group of... Uh, Well, they're beyond middle age. Older men with beards who sing folk tunes. So that's not us. Keep that in mind. This is why I need (laughs) to
1: get that photograph on (laughs) JeremyVort.com. (laughs) I've got to get that picture out of my head. That's the picture I have. You with a big beard playing American folk music. (laughs) That's not
0: me. Sorry. Anyway, thanks again, guys, for for making the call and making the the roundtable. We really appreciate it. We'll see you in a couple of more weeks. Until then, get out there and ride.